Good morning, everyone. My name's Rob. It's my pleasure to bring our second reading. Again, carrying on from where John left off in Jesus' prayer from verse 20 of John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. G'day, my name's Pete Stacey, and if I haven't met you, I hope I can after the service. Uh, we all have moments in life when we have to say goodbye to special people for a time, uh, and in days gone by, when uh, international travel wasn't so easy, sometimes people had to say goodbye forever. Uh, when someone was uh, going away, things like that. Uh, there was a missionary in India in the last century called Leslie Newbigin. He knew what it was to leave loved ones behind. And in one of his many books, he wrote these words. And I think it really captures, and it is so fitting, for what we have here in John 17. Listen to this. When a man is going on a long journey, he will find time on the eve of his departure for a quiet talk with his family and... If he is a man of God, will end by commending to God not only himself and his journey, but also the family he leaves behind. All the more if his journey is his last. Friends, as we look at this wonderful prayer of Jesus, let's ask God to help us understand it. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for pres preserving for us these precious words of Jesus so that we can benefit from them today. Please fill our hearts with gratitude. And like Jesus, please give us a deep desire to see you glorified in all we say and do until we meet you face to face. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we heard John 17 read out, did you notice the number of really big themes in this wonderful prayer? We've seen lots of these themes unfolding throughout the book. Uh, things like love, faith, obedience, glory, unity, joy, eternal life, the word of God, the world, our mission to the world and more. Uh, just you know, a few big themes there. Uh, there's so much we could explore, but simply haven't got the time for. But the most prominent theme here is glory. And so we're going to spend most of our time unpacking that theme and a little bit at the end how it relates to and in fact holds together all those other themes. Let me ask you, what comes to mind when you hear the word glory? Perhaps this. 
had to put that one in. Uh, scoring the winning try, you know, right near the end. Uh, or perhaps this. My favourite sportsman right there. Uh, or perhaps this. Yeah. Do you remember him? Yeah, he, that was the first uh, YouTube uh, to go to, to hit it, one billion views. The first one. Um, or maybe something like this. A different kind of glory, isn't it? The more I've thought about it, the more I think we Aussies have quite a strange relationship with the idea of glory. You see, we love big wins, but we hate big egos. We go nuts if we beat the All Blacks or Queensland, the state of origin, you know, just hypothetically, uh, and... Um, uh, the, or the US in swimming at the Olympics. Um, and I can still remember, who remembers this one? When we won the America's Cup in 1983. Oh, that was, that was awesome, wasn't it? Uh, you know, we easily connect glory uh, with success and great achievement, uh, and especially with winning. But if someone starts talking themselves up, it really rubs us up the wrong way. Especially if it's before the game, and then if they end up losing, we're like, yeah, that was so good. Because we're kind of like, we love the underdog. And we kind of like to pull down the tall poppies. And that's, that's a very Aussie thing. Sometimes we even go so far as to, to glorify criminals, like Ned Kelly, for example, and others. Now, sometimes we associate glory with, with sacrifice, like that last photo, um, especially in the context of war. And it's been interesting uh, to observe over the last decade, just leave COVID out of it for, for a sec, but to see the Anzac Day celebrations growing exponentially around the country. Uh, we want to honour those who fought for our freedom and especially those who, who made that ultimate sacrifice. But if glory is about outstanding success, great achievement, uh, winning, or extraordinary sacrifice, then let's face it, most of us can't expect to have much glory. And that's why I find so much of what Jesus says in this chapter absolutely gobsmacking. It's so unexpected and so wonderful. This chapter, uh, if you ha do have it, keep it open in front of you. This chapter is just a few hours before Jesus is arrested and mocked and tortured and then crucified. That's why he starts, Father, the hour has come. Now, a few years earlier, he'd actually said, he was at a wedding like yesterday, he was at a wedding and uh, he had to say to his mum, uh, my, my hour has not yet come. And then a few days earlier than, than this moment, he said these, these words, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. He knows that the cross is just ahead of him. And so he says, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. One of the first things we notice about glory then is that it is most clearly understood in the context of relationship. Let me kind of illustrate. Uh, you know when a couple is in love and wants to get married, uh, my daughter's engaged now, it's kind of 
pretty fun. Um, uh, you know, and they, they see all these glorious qualities and characteristics and, and the one they love. And, um, and, and that's because that person has you know, the kind of glory, if you like. And then they can express their adoration by saying so. And by showing so, you know, complimenting them with words and writing little cute cards and expressing their appreciation with, with all sorts of kind thoughts and actions as well. It's kind of like that with us and God. See, God has perfect glory, unlimited glory. Now, has anyone got the kids' sheet? Because I know some of the kids are in today. Um, anyone got it? I've got a definition of glory, just before we go any further. Yeah, what, what does it say up the top there? When we are talking about God's glory, what does it mean? Oh, I nearly heard that. Uh, it means awesome, that God is awesome and amazing. That God is awesome and amazing. Uh, so uh, we get a glimpse of that, uh, how awesome and amazing God is. In verse 5, uh, where Jesus says, Father, glorify, my, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the beginning of the world. And if we go elsewhere in the Bible, there's stacks of verses that just tell us how amazing and awesome God is. He's perfect in his glory. But then we have this wonderful opportunity to express our praise to him. We glorify him in words and actions. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we love to sing as Christians, expressing our praise that way. We see Jesus glorifying the Father with his words and actions all the way through this prayer. But did you notice that the glory goes both ways? Jesus is glorified by doing and finishing the Father's work. At the same time, the Father is most glorified by Jesus' perfect obedience. Uh, have a look at how this works. Why does Jesus ask for glory? He says, glorify me. Why? So that he might glorify the Father. That's why he asks for glory. This should be our goal too. You know, whenever we ask anything from God, Lord, give me better health, uh, blessing, safety, money, friends, whatever we ask, whatever we ask of God, let our next breath be that I may glorify you. And maybe we should also ask, Father, please help me see anything in my life, attitudes, possessions, relationships, behaviours, lifestyle choices that aren't bringing glory to you and give me the courage to get rid of them. We're sometimes tempted to think that, that God exists for our pleasure. The truth is it's the, exactly the other way around. He created us for his pleasure and for his glory. But here's the paradox. When we live wholeheartedly for his glory, life makes sense. And we discover that our glory is all wrapped up in him. That's the way Jesus lived. He describes it as he goes on, verse 2. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. How did he do that? By going to the cross. By going to the cross. 
tough job, tough assignment, that one. You know, and none of us are ever going to die for the sin of others. But it's worth recognising that sometimes in a sin-broken world, bringing glory to God will involve great pain. He goes on. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have said. It's a bit funny because he's sort of talking third person there. He is Jesus Christ and he's praying, but he's still got all his disciples in the room. That's why he kind of speaks that way. It makes a bit more sense in the context. Uh, And from that, we can see that for us to know God, we have to know Jesus. And we've seen that all the way through John's gospel. There is no way of having a relationship with the living God who created us without having a relationship with his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he finishes by saying, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. The key to Jesus' glory, and our, our glory for that matter, is found in faithful obedience to the will of God right to the end of our life on earth. We do well to remember that we all have a final hour coming when our work will be finished and we will meet God face to face. So friends, let's live for his glory. Now that's just so, so crazily different to the message the world gives us, isn't it? It's so different to the voice of our own sinful hearts. Sin says that living for self is wise and beautiful and fulfilling. Sin says that to die to self and serve God, that's a death sentence. That's not eternal life. Sin says that pursuing my ambitions and my desires is the best life I can live. Sin says that God's bucket list can wait until I've finished my bucket list. Friends, Jesus is radically different. His glory was found only by seeking the glory of his heavenly Father. And we do well to imitate him. Let me just sum up what we've, we've got so far. First of all, God is perfect in glory. Secondly, we were created to glorify him. Thirdly, why did Jesus die on the cross? Because we fail to glorify him perfectly. That's, we're sinful people. He died for our sin. Fourth thing, Jesus perfectly glorified the Father by finishing his job, which was to die on the cross for our sin. Which means, fifthly, if we trust Jesus, he gives us eternal life so that we can share in his glory forever. Let that sink in. What an awesome and amazing future for everyone who trusts in Jesus, sharing in the glory of the living God forever. (laughs) But we're not there yet, are we? Verse 11 says this, I will remain in the world no longer, Jesus praying, but they are still in the world. 
I'm going to have a look at what he says about this. See, our last point in that flow of thought is this. While we are in the world, God calls us to glorify him through faithful obedience. That's our job. That's our job while we look forward to glory with him in heaven eternally. It's almost like a, a summary of the whole message of the Bible, isn't it? <laughs> when you look at that. Down through the centuries, many great theologians have tried to, to sum up the whole message of the Bible and uh, to work out what that means for our lives in you know, practical terms. At one stage in history, it was common to present it as a set of questions and answers known as a catechism. Did anyone learn a catechism growing up? Okay, some of you will know exactly where I'm heading. Perhaps the most well-known one is the, the beginning of it all. What is the chief end of man? Using kind of old language these days. Oh, the answer's there, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's to glorify God, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's a very short summary of what the Bible teaches about our purpose in life. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Now see, our greatest joy, our greatest meaning and purpose in life is found when instead of pursuing our glory, we pursue the glory of God. But it won't be easy. While Jesus was in the world, he was constantly opposed and persecuted and it just escalated more and more until finally his death on the cross. He says in verse 12, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. But he knows it will be tough for his followers. Uh, that's why he says a little bit later, the world has hated them for they are not of this world any more than I'm of this world. So my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, which will eventually happen when we're with him in glory, but that you, you protect them from the evil one. So what I want to do in our brief time remaining is show how this theme of glory, this central purpose of our lives as followers of Jesus, is connected to all those other themes uh, that I put on the screen at the beginning. Here's the slide again. Have a look at it. All those different things kind of connected to glory there. And uh, I'm trying to do it just from within this one passage. If you want all these other, like there's hundreds of verses all throughout the Bible, if you really want to go a lot deeper in this, just let me know. Um, but just looking at Jesus' prayer here, um, let's start with verse 22, the theme of love. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. There's unity. Uh, in I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We have an amazing God. He seeks his own glory, not by defeating and dominating his people, but by loving them, even at the cost of his life. And his love unites us together as we learn to love one another. As you probably know, I recently completed a Bike for Bibles ride week in the West, led by our very own Chris Gervin. It was long and arduous. <laughs> But it was very successful in fundraising, um, went way past our goal of 30 grand, I think we're nearly up to $40,000, to support the Bible Society's work uh, for women's literacy in Pakistan. Now, of course, they use the Bible itself to actually teach uh, these women how to read and write, which gives them wonderful opportunities to talk about Jesus. 
that's another story. The thing I wanted to mention is that on this tour, uh, it was extraordinary to experience the, the love and the unity that we, we could have. Complete strangers, and most of us had never met each other before, but because of our common foundation in Christ. And maybe you've experienced that in different places you've been because we have that common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have incredible trust and love and unity together, even with people we've never met before. A few times, in fact, on that, that trip, our, our unity created opportunities to share the hope that we have. And it was exciting to see that. Friends, never underestimate the powerful witness of Christian fellowship. That's how the world, down verse 25, uh, says that you know, the world doesn't know God, but that's how the world is able to see Jesus, by the radical love and unity that God desires among his people and brings forth among his people by the power of his Holy Spirit. And that's actually the heart of our mission to the world. All these words starting to come together, aren't they? Sharing the love of God with each other brings joy. In fact, verse 13, Jesus says, we will have the full measure of his joy. And we saw last week that that's one of the wonderful things the Holy Spirit brings to our lives as we follow Jesus. What about the word of God? Well, God is glorified when a person hears the word of God, the wonderful news of our salvation in Christ and puts their faith in him. He forgives their sin and gives them the certain hope of eternal life with him. Do you know that for certain yourself? Jesus says, I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. And when a person comes to personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it, it produces an obvious change in life. Their obedience to his word shows that they belong to him. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word, says Jesus in his prayer. So what might this look like, living for God's glory in your life and mine? Well, it is great to have the kids in with us. I'm going to go back to this kids sheet because down the bottom there, I've got a question for them. To glorify God means to show how awesome and amazing he is. Okay? And then I've asked this question. How can we glorify God with our words, attitudes, and actions? And um, just this morning I thought... That's a bit unfair of me to ask a question like that without at least answering it myself. <laughs> so I'm going to finish on a rather personal note. These are my reflections just this morning on how I would do the kids' sheet. Um, and when we're talking about glorifying God, I mean, it really encompasses all of life. So you could say just about anything that's going to bring us closer to God. But here's three that, uh, for me, right at this point in time. Words. Well, after reading and reflecting on God's word, uh, for a long time now, I've been trying to write a short prayer. Um, it's been profoundly helpful for me um, to, to express my thoughts and feelings uh, in light of God's word, but to put it on paper. I don't always do this, but sometimes I'll actually you know, write it and I'll just read it out loud, you know, to God, but to myself as well. You know, just like, 
after spending time in God's word, yeah, this is how it brings me to God. That, that's a simple one with words. Attitudes. Um, I've been reflecting on the opportunities and also the challenges of singleness uh, and how I might be able to glorify God now and in the future. But one thing I've noticed is that, uh, this is in my own heart, how easily selfishness creeps in. So I'm working on that. Uh, I want to live for God's glory, not mine. See, without my dear loving wife being able to feed back, <laughs> ah, it's, it's really easy to be selfish because I've only got my own head to feed back. Uh, it's not always directed by God's word the way I'd like it to be. Lastly, actions. <laughs> this one's about my weakness as well. Um, I struggle to pray alone for any length of time. I, I, I love praying. I think it's really important to pray for more than just myself, you know, for other people and things. So what I've done is I've actually organised prayer with others at uh, different times, and it's actually in my weekly calendar. Um, so that prayer for me isn't just a good intention, but it actually happens. Um, and it's been a real delight getting to know, you know some of the people I pray with. Um, there you go. There's some ideas. Um, what, why don't we pray now? <laughs> Dear Father, thank you for creating us to know you and share in your heavenly glory. What a thought. And thank you for your love for us shown most clearly in the obedience of Jesus on the cross. And Lord, we echo the words of that heavenly picture in Revelation chapter 4. It says, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. May you be glorified in us today and always. Amen.